Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is a simple fact of life that if you live long enough, you will suffer. If anybody here says, well, I can't say I've really suffered that much, that's because you're young. If you live long enough, you will suffer. Not necessarily in the same way, but some of us will have serious health issues. Somebody we love dies, we think, prematurely. As, you, as your children grow up and they become teenagers, young adults, often you're grieved by some of the things they do. Maybe one will even turn away from the Lord. As you get older, you get wrinkles. You lose your hair, you get arthritis, back trouble, heart disease, cancer, and, and so on. Sorry if that sounds a little depressing, but it's a simple fact of life. If you live long enough, you will suffer. But the question is not, will there be suffering or not? That's a given. The question is, there will be suffering, but will there also be faith? And that's really what we're going to to be looking at this morning as we live through trials and tribulations, do we hold on to our God in faith? Let me tell you who this sermon is for and start off by saying who this sermon is not for. It's not, it's not written for unbelievers. If it, if it were, if I were out in the mission field, I would be emphasizing far more the origin of suffering, why it is in this world, and point more to the cross of Jesus Christ. We'll talk about those things, but I'm assuming that we already know quite a bit about the Bible, and we know quite a bit what the gospel is saying. But if there were an unbeliever or someone who had just the first blush of faith, we're sitting here listening to the sermon and saying, I, that, I'm touched by that. Well, that's great. We're really appreciative of that. Another person for whom this sermon is not written is someone who presently is going through very difficult times, uh, a great deal of suffering. You probably thought, I came with this sermon, it's also my New Year's Eve sermon tomorrow evening, because there is so much suffering here in our churches in, in Edmonton, but it's not why I did it. In fact, I almost hesitated to, to write this sermon. I have seen over the years the hurt of people going through difficult times and, and other people try to say just the right thing, a kind thing, a helpful thing, and it seems trite and it's hurtful. If you have a young mother whose husband is in the military and she gets the news that her husband and a few others have been captured by ISIS and disappeared and she doesn't know whether he's alive or not, or being tortured horribly, as ISIS can do. It's not helpful if the minister comes and says, well, this is God's plan. Or the elder says, you know, Paul tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. She's hurt by that. These words are well meant, and they're true. But, but to come to a person who is so deep in grief and to come up with some saying and, and figure that'll help them, it doesn't work. They've got to feel it themselves. They've got to work it through themselves. You know, she has to know the truth. We all have to know the truth. But little sayings are not always so helpful. If at the same time, this sermon does touch you 
and you're going through challenging times, well, praise God for that. And of course, that's his work. It's not mine. Who this sermon is written for is just regular, everyday church people. You know, the, the fact is, if, if you don't understand evil, if you don't understand the reason for suffering, if you don't know God's place in all the midst of that, then the danger is you're just cruising along fine in your life, and then wham, something terrible happens. And terrible things do happen. We know that. But if you don't understand and you don't know that, it can knock you off the foundation of your faith. I mean, uh, there's so many stories just in Canada alone of, of, of men of, of outstanding faith who renounced God when their daughter or their son died. They didn't understand it. They couldn't wrap their minds around it. So what this sermon is designed to do is to help us all to understand why they're suffering and that it's God who suffers alongside with us and how suffering can actually be used to strengthen our faith. Let that happen before the evil day comes. If you live long enough, you will suffer. Will you have faith? Let's be ready for it. I'd like to advise you that uh, I've been helped along in this sermon a lot by a, a book I read earlier this week by an evangelical scholar, Donald Carson. I wrote a book, How, How Long, O Lord? Reflections on Suffering and Evil. Very helpful book. I can even share that with you later if you like. So we summarize our text in this way. There will be suffering, but will there also be faith? We'll look at three things. What's behind suffering? Who suffered in our place? And when will suffering and at some time or another, you may have come across or read a book by Harold Kushner, Kushner, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. You recognize that book? Does it sound a little familiar to you? When Bad Things Happen to Good People. It's a very misleading title. The question is, who are these good people? There are no good people. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, Every human being from then on is conceived and born in sin. We are not good because we are sinners. And Paul, you know, he really makes that point really clear in Romans 3. He's even quoting there from Psalm 14. He says, there's no one righteous. No, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Paul's just getting warmed up. Then he really lets the hammer fall when he says their throats are open graves. There's no such thing as a good person. There's no such thing as a righteous person. Not even one, says Paul. We are all sinners. So if we want to talk about the fairness of God, when Kushner asks the question, why do bad things happen to, to good people? If he said, well, let's be fair about this. Should God, you know, avoid putting bad things on us? Well, if God were to do the fair thing, he would just dump so much suffering on us that nobody would even want to live. As a sinner, we deserve the, the justice and, and, and the wrath of God. So when, when, we're, when we come before God and, and we see uh, difficult things come to us, one thing we cannot do is say, God, why are you doing bad things to good people? 
God said to Adam and Eve, you eat, you die. You touch that tree and you will die. And that's what we all deserve. Now, the reason that Kushner's book is so popular in, in North America is that we live in, a, we live in a society, a culture of not just entitlement. But basically, people think we're good. Human beings are, are good people. And there's a, there's a rage. People are incensed in North America at the idea that there is a God who can do terrible things to us. There's a lot of anger about that. A neighbor friend of mine says, why would I believe in your God? When he's going to send the greater part of humanity to hell? What kind of God is that? You, know, you, hear, that, you hear that line, and that kind of talk all the time, but it's a distorted view of, of, of life and of the Bible. We see in Genesis 3 that when Adam and Eve fell into sin, it took about a second for the... For things to fall apart. You know, they were, they were ashamed, ashamed of each other. They started squabbling. And then God said to them, you know, you know from now on, you're going to live a life of pain. Uh, pain and childbearing. There's going to be thorns. There's going to be sweat. You're going you're to die and return to dust. In today's terms, brothers and sisters, that means things like AIDS. It, it means tsunamis and earthquakes and cancer and heart disease and kidney failure, and terrorism, and wars. This is the result of the fall into sin. And sadly, what too few people realize or appreciate is it's our fault. It's what we brought into the world. I don't know if I've mentioned this to you before, but as a kid, there was a, a comic strip called Pogo. And in that, it was a real it was a social a message, often political. And Pogo said, we have seen the enemy, and it is us. Going back a few years, when, when those jets were run into the Twin Towers in, in New York, oh, were we disturbed, and were we upset with, with those Muslims, those terrorists, running the planes into to our towers, Angry with them. Angry with, 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 with that whole spirit of, of terrorism. And that, that's understandable. But the very fact is, brothers and sisters, when those planes were run into the towers, it's a time for a lot of soul searching and a lot of repentance. It says it's not just a handful of people who brought about this kind of world. We did it together. We did it as a human race. When there are wars, when there are disasters, when there's acts of terrorism, these are times for falling on our knees and saying, oh Lord, did we ever make a mess of everything? Please have mercy on us. And you know, brothers and sisters, if we look at trouble in this world and suffering in our lives from that point of view, this scriptural point of view, then we will not get so angry when that doctor tells us you've got cancer or your heart is operating at 15%. Our understanding of life is this is the world we've come into by our own making. And what we will do 
is cast ourselves in the tender mercies of God. There will be suffering, but will there also be faith? Now, having said all this, that doesn't mean that when we suffer, you know, we smile and, you know, the British stiff upper lip, be a stoic. You don't have to feel it. You don't, you can just take it. No, we cry. And we get mad sometimes. Just read the Psalms. Read Psalm 6. You don't meet David, uh, the stoic, the, the stiff upper lift guy. You got a guy who is, who is sweating and weeping all night in his bed. And he is upset. How long, O oh Lord? When will it stop? You know, the, the, these, these are people in real pain. And, and when we go through pain, it hurts too. It doesn't matter that it's a result of the fall into sin. Well, it does matter. But in spite of that, it still hurts, and it hurts terribly. In Psalm 6, we understand that David's going through a difficult time, and I'm not really sure what, what he's experiencing. It seems like physical pain. Uh, it even looked, you see that there, his enemies are tormenting him. He's even thinking he might die. So he's going through a lot of trouble. But one thing he knows that God exists and God is good. He cries out here in our text, My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Therefore, when David feels abandoned by God and he's weeping, he turns to God and he also realizes that, that God can turn this around and bring blessing upon Upon him, he says that at the very end, depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping, the Lord has heard my plea, the Lord accepts my prayer. This David doesn't just have an intellectual idea of God, you know, there's a God there, and that God is good. No, he feels God, he experiences God. He's got a relationship with God in his heart. And in his heart of hearts, he knows, yes, there's horrible things happening in my life, and yes, I know I deserve it. But I know God. He is good. He will, he will bring me through this. So David holds on to God in faith. Now, there's something that we, we notice about this psalm right from the very beginning in verse 1 about discipline. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. So David here, he's not questioning whether God has a right to be angry or God has a, a right to discipline. He's not questioning that, but he is pleading with God. Do you think maybe it's enough? Lord, do you think that I have suffered enough? Could you stop the anger? And could you stop, could you stop the discipline? At the same time, David knows and acknowledges that the discipline of the Lord is necessary and it's important. I mean, in Psalm 32, he needed discipline because of what he did to Bathsheba. But, but in general, bad things can, can happen to us because God is disciplining us. I hope you know that the word discipline ultimately means to teach, to guide to help you, to make you better. 
We read in Hebrews 12, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. You see, in, in the letter to the Hebrews, there was this danger that all these Christians, these new Christians, who had started out so well, they were faltering. So God's shaking them up. He's getting out his megaphone and said, Hey, people, listen up. You can't continue that way. And he disciplines them to, to, to shake them up. You know, James says the same thing. Count it all joy when you meet trials and tribulations because your faith is going to grow. And Paul says in Romans 5 that we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Suffering in our life is our Heavenly Father teaching us and disciplining us to get focused on what's really important. Just take 2018, 2019. We live in a time of tremendous prosperity. We live in a time where we talk a lot about money, about cars, snowmobile, going to Hawaii, going on a cruise. And while we do that, we sometimes wonder how much focus is there on our personal Bible reading and meditation and working for the, for the kingdom of, of our God. God disciplines us to cause us to refocus. He shakes us up. I'm kidding you not. It's like a megaphone. When we, when we hit that rough patch in our life, God is shouting at us and says, am I getting through to you? Why don't you forget your money for a little while? Why don't you forget all your earthly pleasures? And what about spending some time with me in prayer? What about reading your Bible? What about seeing how you can live your life to my praise and my glory? You know, a sudden job loss, that devastating phone call from, from, from the doctor's office, or the hatred of people around us. This is God disciplining us, using the very suffering that we do deserve, but God is using it to get us to refocus. There will be suffering, but will there also be faith? I'd like to take an example here that's very relevant and very contemporary. We all are deeply aware that our provincial government is pretty hard on our school, uh, threatening to change the curriculum, demanding certain sexual allowances that we don't agree with from a biblical point of view. And we're, we're being told, you don't, if you don't behave, you can lose your funding. It's going to cost a lot of money. So, of course, we, we're praying about that. We're concerned about that. We're talking to the, to the representatives in, in government and uh, education, and rightly so. But they're doing wrong. We don't, shouldn't keep our mouths shut. We need to be a light to the world. We need to tell them what they're doing is wrong. But what if they don't listen? Could be one of the best things that ever happens to us, brothers and sisters. It's going to cost us more. We're going to have less money. Might be spending a lot of energy in court. Maybe we won't be able to buy the new car. Maybe we won't be able to go on that nice vacation. It's going to cost us more money. 
but it's also going to get us to refocus about what's real, what's important, that I will gladly take up my cross to follow my Lord Jesus Christ. So it costs me money. But I know my God. I know the value of children and their education. And this, this is what I'm willing to sacrifice for. This is what I'm willing to fight for. You see, suffering unbolts the door to our heart so that God comes in more and more with, with his word. That is what we read together in Hebrews 12. It's what Moses was talking about in Psalm 90. That's exactly when we go through the difficult times and God is dis disciplining us, we see what's really important. And God becomes big in our life. He becomes tremendously important to us. You know, our, our biggest threat today is not that culture and our world is against us. But our biggest threat is that we like culture in our world too much. There needs to be the antithesis. There needs to be the difference. And if opposition from our own government and the people around us help us to see that, then we need to see that that's God disciplining those whom he loves. And that brings us uh, further in our sermon because at this point, uh, it, it may have been helpful to hear all these things, but you're still wondering, how am I going to get through that suffering? You tell, you tell me it's, it's good for us, it's God disciplining us, but I'm still feeling so empty in the midst of uh, suffering and of pain. And the question really is, comes down to this, can, can we trust God? Can we trust him? And can we trust him to be there for us? We know that God could heap nothing but suffering on us, as justice would allow that. But can we trust that he would also be good, that he will also help us out in the midst of our suffering? Now, I think, brothers and sisters, and I don't just think, I know, and you know it too, that the primary reason that we know we can trust God and in the midst of suffering, hold on to him, cry out to him, is because he gave his son to die for us on the cross of Golgotha. He didn't have to do that. That son is the eternal son of God. He created this world. He didn't have to empty himself and be made nothing and become a man and take our sins upon himself. But he did. He allowed horrid men to do terrible things to him. He allowed his own father to pull out his full justice and wrath upon him on the cross when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you crucified me? The son suffered, but so did the father. Now, I, I know that's said that before and people don't like it when I say that. God is emotional. He was like, God's, God's not emotional. He doesn't have emotions. Well, you don't know your Bible. The Bible, we read that God, he laughs. He cries. He's grieved. He gets angry. He hopes. He calls he says, why? Why would you perish? Turn from your wicked way and live. We have a very emotional God, different than our emotions. God's not unstable, but he feels. Did it ever cost the Father 
to hang his son on the cross the, of the very one that he says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. This is my son whom I love. He wouldn't even answer the son on the cross, but poured his wrath. And the son suffered. We know all that. God knows how to suffer, and he suffered in our place. Through his stripes we are healed. What kind of God do we have, brothers and sisters? Can we trust him? We have a God who suffered for us. We have a, a merciful high priest, our, our Lord Jesus Christ. And with David, when we cry out, my soul is in anguish, how long, O Lord, how long? Jesus Christ comes along beside us. He says, I took all your suffering on myself. And now I am here with you to carry your burden. And you know, that's, that's a remarkable thing about suffering. One of, one of the most terrible things about suffering is when you're all alone. And you feel that nobody understands, nobody is there for you. But to have this man, this Savior, who died for us on the cross, to come alongside and to carry us. It says we'll, we'll, we'll carry that burden together. It makes it incredibly light. Knowing our, our suffering Savior, that he suffered for us and he is with us. And that he will always take care of us. That, my brothers and sisters, is something that gives us faith and hope and confidence as we go through trials and tribulations. So we come to some concluding remarks. We're not done yet. So we, we said Jesus comes alongside of us. He carries our, our burdens with us. Is this going to go on for all eternity? And there, there we know it, it won't. He's saying that in Psalm 90 with, with Moses. A day will come. It could be very soon. When our Lord Jesus Christ will return in the clouds of heaven, it will wipe away the tears from our eyes and it will bring us into a new heaven and a new earth. In a world of suffering, we know there is an end, a glorious end. And I, and I sometimes think that with all the, 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 the suffering that we have and the evil in the world and the trials and tribulations, if those things aren't all designed to make us look forward and to be homesick for our real home, for heaven and earth. That when you go through difficult times, that you say it's, it's short-lived. Who will not gladly endure this moment of suffering for an eternity of being in the presence with our God? Sometimes we talk about we are pilgrims. And I, I know that there's warnings against that. I, I believe every sermon should point us to heaven. I mean, that, it's going to be good, brothers and sisters. It's going to be fantastic. We're, we're pointing that direction. And some people worry, well, if you look too much to the end, maybe you don't live real in this world. And that, that's a good warning. I have, but I have never met anybody in my life who was so focused on heaven that they pretty much ignored life here in this world. I think Paul is a very good example in Philippians 3. He says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may, get, may gain Christ. And then he goes on, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And Paul says that at the end of Philippians 3, my commonwealth, 
my citizenship is in heaven. And that's what I hope for, and that's what I live for. We come back to the theme of our sermon, brothers and sisters. This is our conclusion. There will be suffering. Will there also be faith? It's so important that as Christians we have that that view of the scripture that becomes our worldview as well. There will be suffering. That's the consequence of the fall into sin. And we're all going to endure it. And we know that as we go through suffering, our, our God is disciplining us. He's teaching us so that we grow in faith more and more to him. But the big thing is, everything that happens in my life, I see in the light of the cross. I suffer. And I look at my Savior, that perfect man, that Son of God, who hung there with all our sins upon him and all that suffering. My God, my God, why have you rejected me? Why are you doing this to me? He did that. So I would never feel the rejection. Our pain is so, it's like a solve of God's love and grace and all the suffering of life to know that Jesus Christ has taken our place and he walks with us. And before you know it, he will wipe away the tears from our eyes and usher us into a, into a world where we eat the tr- from the tree of life and, and we drink from that stream of living water And God is our light for eternity in the new Jerusalem. How long, O Lord, cried David. And he has the answer. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. Amen.